It's another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network as we head on into your midday and all the information that we offer every day here from ag, news, weather, sports, it's all here. It's one package that we can uh, bring to you every day. We put it together in real time here on the Rural Radio Network. want to remind you that you can also catch it as a podcast a little bit later on in the afternoon if you have to leave us any time, like maybe to chew that sandwich or something. Uh, you can always pick up what you may have missed at uh, your website and look for the midday podcast there. We go to Susan Littlefield to find out what's going on with all of our ag information today. What's the crew working on, Susan? Well, a lot of crazy things going on, as you may have heard yesterday, especially with the way the markets reacted. The National Sorghum Producers Legislative Chairman, Dan Atkinson, will catch up with Clay to talk about the recent announcement of China. Now, they are, of course, talking about tariffs being placed on U.S. sorghum at some extremely high, high numbers. Then coming up, uh, let's jump to 117 as corn planting progress has slipped behind the average this week. We're going to talk about cold temperatures in these soils and what's going to be your optimal planting time with Jenny Reese, a Nebraska Extension educator. Everybody knows Jenny. She is one of the tops in the state when it comes to giving us agronomy information. Then over the midday, the 1245 with Shaley Peters will feature uh, Chancey Hansen, Director of Communications for the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. The wildfires do continue down in Oklahoma, but there is some great relief efforts underway right now by some cattlemen. So we'll get updates from her on that at 1245. All right. We'll look forward to all of that. With uh, everything going on in trade right now, it, you know, it's interesting, you know, how fast and how hard the Chinese hit on sorghum. It, it dawns on me that there's probably a lot of people in the eastern and western coastal areas probably don't have an f- idea at all what sorghum is. Exactly, unless they're buying it on the shelf at the grocery store instead of putting maple syrup on their pancakes. Yeah, yep, it's uh, it's interesting. We have to always be educating. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it very much. Jason Jorgensen is in on sports. And coming up in sports, we'll hear from Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. He kind of gave a gave a rundown yesterday of uh, his thoughts on spring practice. He also kind of laid out how they'll try to run things. Unfortunately, they've had a bunch of kids sick. There's been a tough virus that's been running through the team. They dealt with this before spring break, and now it's come back here after spring break. So uh, they, they won't have any extra bodies, a lot of extra bodies at some position standing around on Saturday. Also, the Husker baseball team continues to struggle. They were knocked off by Kansas State last night. They're back in action tonight as they take on Omaha. That one is scheduled to start at uh, 6.30. And another postponement of Major League Baseball today. No baseball in Chicago between the Cubs and the Cardinals. It is the 25th postponement already this month in Major League Baseball. Also, Wayne State, they're looking for a new women's basketball coach. Okay. Yeah, looking at the national (laughs) radar picture, it's not hard to figure out why they're canceling those games in the upper Midwest. Bob Brogan has business. Stocks are edging a little bit higher in midday trading. They were wobbling early on. Uh, They're extending gains from a day earlier. And uh, some of the things going on, uh, kind of a sad day for department store operator, the Bonton Stores, which uh, also owns Herbergers and Yonkers. Uh, two liquidation firms are the victors of an auction for the bankrupt company's assets. Also, the IRS is giving all taxpayers an extra day to file after its website went south on deadline day. And if you think you're late, President Trump has filed for an extension, so you're not late. Thanks, Bob. All this and more on today's Midday.
Paul Perkins joins us with our ag weather here on Midday, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. There's been some areas of Nebraska that really got an unexpected treat this morning. Yeah, five to nine inches of snow in that far northeast corner of Nebraska into southeast South Dakota. Five to nine inches of snow. Luckily, a lot of it is just sticking on the grassy areas and not causing too much in the way of travel problems, especially towards the Norfolk area, but still some light snow on radar popping up towards Wayne and also towards the Norfolk area in the northeast part of Nebraska. By and large, though, the rest of us are just contending with a big blow today. Yes, a lot of wind, especially as you head into central portions of Kansas. We're seeing some wind gusts up near 48 miles per hour still in the Russell area. A lot of us seeing those winds today that will be gusting on into the 40s. We have temperatures currently in the low 30s in northeast Nebraska to some warmer upper 40s to right around 50 as you head into southwest Nebraska, northeast Colorado, and northwest Kansas. A lot of our temperatures currently in the upper 30s to the low 40s in central areas. Those northwest winds expected to be strong today as an area of high pressure pushes in from the north and that area of low pressure that brought some rain and snow to our area last night exits to the east. A lot of locations seen about 10 to 20 hundredths of rain, especially along the north of I-80. Elevated fire weather conditions once again today over southwest Nebraska and the northwest and north central Kansas, but no red flag warnings in place, but just be careful with any open flame and maybe uh, think twice about doing that due to the strong winds and dry air. Winds diminish tonight as an area of high pressure moves overhead. Tomorrow going to be dry and milder as the southeast wind kicks in on the backside of this area of high pressure, sliding off towards the southeast. Temperatures still will be slightly cooler than normal. An active weather pattern is back for the end of the weekend of the first part of the weekend. Rain chances increase Friday into Saturday morning as an area of low pressure tracks to the east. Now, since this system continues to trend a bit on the warmer side, since it's going farther south than originally expected, there will only be a brief window or a brief chance of a rain-snow mix early on Saturday morning. And right now, it looks like the best chances of moisture with this system, southern Nebraska into Kansas. Now, in-between systems, Sunday and Monday, going to be dry with a warming trend. A cool rain is possible with another system by Monday night into Tuesday. And it looks like that warming trend will be a little more long-lasting. In our long-term forecast, temperatures begin to trend warmer than normal in Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 1st of May. It's been a while since we've been able to say that. Near normal to slightly above normal precipitation expected for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 1st of May. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the low to mid 30s ran along I-80 and points to the north. Once again, low to mid-30s along I-80 and points north in Nebraska. Southern Nebraska and northern Kansas, those soil temperatures mostly upper 30s to low 40s. To the south of I-70, upper 40s to right around 50. Key weather factors driving the market include more Midwest fieldwork delays due to wet and cold weather and reduced amounts of rain in the southern plains forecast. A new round of wildfires struck western Oklahoma and nearby areas of southwest winds continue to howl and temperatures reached 100. Some of those fires intensified. Cooler air, though, is beginning to settle into the southern plains to help with those firefighting efforts. Today, a storm with rain and snow is in the upper Midwest. will continue to move off towards the east. A larger storm expected to reach the plains by Friday. Drought-stricken areas of the central and southern plains could benefit from that. 
They could receive as much as a half to two inches of rain. Those forecast rainfall amounts, though, are reduced compared to previous forecasts. Drought easing now expected to be minimal, especially in the southwest sector of the Southern Plains. In much of the Midwest, field work and planning progress, the slowest in five years, a slightly warmer and drier trend indicated about 10 days out. A somewhat improving temperature pattern is possible 10 days from now in the Northern Plains. The progress on field work there and also spring plant wheat planting will continue to be slow. Delta producers, they'll see mainly dry weather through the end of the week, which will be favorable for the field work and planning. Ag uh, weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Reinke dealer, continued all over the state to see those north winds that are going to be gusty on through the day today. And I guess it's going to be, you're going to be too dry or you're going to be too wet, you're going to be too windy, but I guess one thing that you would just as soon not have is I, you just can't imagine the kind of destruction that they're having down in Oklahoma with that fire. Yeah, you know, they're losing numerous buildings. Uh, with these fires and they just continue to intensify you can see a lot of them by uh, from up in space uh, by satellite it's yeah. that, it's at that intense with these fires all right and as we get some southerly airflow there might be some some tired and uh, irritated eyes up here in nebraska before too long no kidding yep all right well we uh, thank you for all the information here let's uh, see if we can push this thing on over into a springtime pattern <laughs> if we can next week looks like very much appreciated when you need weather anytime krvn.com wildfires continue to burn across parts of oklahoma i'm shaley peters joining you now on the rural radio network as we take a midday look at ag news several ranches and farms have found themselves in the path of these destructive fires and chancy hansen director of communications with the oklahoma cattlemen's association says many of them are already in need i know that there's um well over 320,000 acres that have burned the two big fires are still going lots of producers in those rural areas have lost cattle, have lost their homes, um, fences, grass, of course, and um, even their hay piles. And um, those cattlemen that have, have you know, saved cattle don't have anything for them to eat. So um, the major need right now is, is just a call for hay. We've created a wildfire relief fund. Basically, those it's just a place for people to donate those funds online or through checks. We keep them all in one place and then there's actually already an application out for producers that have been affected by the fire. They fill that out. We would have a committee that reviews them and distributes those funds as equally as possible. You can find more on those relief efforts by visiting ruralradio.com and they are hopeful with rain in the forecast for this weekend. And another ag news, a coalition of stakeholders committed to the expansion of broadband services in rural America today launched the first in a series of workshops to focus attention on the wide-ranging challenges to achieving connectivity and the opportunities improved e-connectivity could bring to people and economies of the nation's rural regions. U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue and Federal Communications Commission Chairman Ajit Pai joined executives from five partner organizations, the Farm Foundation and CTA, the Rural Broadband Association, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, CoBank, and the National Rural Utilities Cooperative Finance Corporation in kicking off the listening sessions by highlighting the importance of e-connectivity 
to all sectors of rural America. And speaking of Secretary Sonny Perdue, he today issued the following statement regarding China's announcement of duties of almost 179% on U.S. sorghum imports. The international grain market is about the freest market there is, and it is ludicrous to even mention dumping because China can buy product from anywhere they choose. This is clearly a political decision by the Chinese, and we reject their premise. Our sorghum producers are the most competitive in the world, and we do not believe there is any basis, in fact, for these actions. As we explore options, we are in communication with the American sorghum industry and stand united with them. The fact remains that China has engaged in unfair trade practices over the decades, and President Trump is correct in holding them accountable. We remain committed to protecting American agricultural producers in the face of retaliatory measures by the Chinese. And the University of Nebraska-Lincoln has joined 15 public and private universities in Fed by Science in an effort to boost federal investment in agricultural research. The initiative, timed with the release of the 2018 House Farm Bill, focuses on demonstrating to the public and policymakers the many ways that U.S. Department of Agriculture-funded universities and researchers are creating a safer, healthier, and more productive food system. Fed by Science launched today with two briefings for Senate and House Representative staff. The effort tells stories in which scientific discoveries and innovations have improved the, f- the way food is produced and distributed. Nebraska Chancellor Ronnie Green, a Fed by Science co-chair, is in Washington, D.C. for the launch. Again, for all of our ag news, audio and video, as well as updated market information anytime, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. That's a quick look to your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. China is back on the warpath, and it's again coming after U.S. sorghum. We get an exclusive first look here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us from the National Sorghum Producers is NSP's Legislative Committee Chairman, Dan Atkinson. And, Dan, we thank you for joining us. Quickly kind of brief us on what China has come out against on U.S. sorghum and overall NSP's reaction to this. China has come across uh, with a 178% duty on U.S. sorghum, duty or tariff on U.S. sorghum. Uh, we are told that this is a preliminary number, but how long that lasts is, is still remains to be seen. I think the first reaction from the national sorghum producers is, is definitely that this is uh, unwarranted. Um, we were very cooperative in, in participating in the anti-dumping case the Chinese brought against us, um, filled out all of the paperwork submitted to Beijing, and in a very quick manner, they turned around and put on this preliminary tariff. Uh, We feel that this is inappropriate uh, and unwarranted. Forward-looking, does this completely shut off the Chinese marketplace, or will there still be a small portion of demand in China? I mean, when you you put that large of a tariff on, you can only assume um, that any any of this any of our sorghum that is going towards beet grains is going to be completely shut off going, going to China. And now when we start looking forward, is the U.S.'s next step to look towards other countries to try and expand their market footprint, or do we keep coming back to China and trying to resolve this trade dispute? We have great partners uh, in China, uh, in, our, in our exporters and importers. So, you know, we will continue to work with the Chinese government to try to resolve the issue on sorghum, but uh, there's a lot bigger issues going forward, and, and I believe uh, the administration is going to have to handle some of those things. From a sorghum standpoint, you know, we're always looking for new trade partners around the world. Um, China has just gobbled up all the sorghum that they can get their hands on in the last several years. 
once uh, sorghum stops going into China, uh, there'll be other countries that step up and, and, and buy some of our imports. And again, talking about this trade dispute, and sorghum wasn't essentially the first casualty in this trade dispute, how does the U.S. continue to prove its innocence here in this dumping allegation that China's brought forth? Well, I think, I think you know, it, it's, it's relatively easy to see that, you know, this is unfounded. Um, you know, we, we proved as, as sorghum producers that the dumping case was not true, I and mean, this is just simply a retaliatory measure. I think moving forward, um, you know, we're going to continue to work with those folks and, and see what we can do. Uh, unfortunately, unless there's something done uh, administratively uh, by the U.S. government, you know, the next step would be to move towards the WTO case. How do you think this latest news from China will overall affect U.S. sorghum producers? Well, I think absolutely any time you take uh, a market premium, uh, such as exporting into China, when you take that away from the producer at the farm level, um, you know, that hurts everybody. Um, so immediately when, when the case first was announced, um, you know, we saw uh, basis in, in the country elevators drop by up to 90 cents. Um, so, you know, obviously when you drop the price that much, 25% at the farm level, that definitely hurts our producers. Um, since then, we've seen the market recover. Um, we've had uh, ethanol industry step up and buy sorghum. We've seen other countries step forward and buy sorghum. Um, but I, I think this is, this is going to be a long-term situation. And uh, in the meantime, we're just going to have to find other places to channel our grain to. Again, joining us today to discuss the latest tariffs from China on U.S. sorghum, National Sorghum Producers Legislative Chairman Dan Atkinson. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska coach Scott Frost gave the rundown for Saturday's red-white game yesterday. It will be a normal game format for the first half with a running clock in the second half with regular timing rules in the final five minutes. Frost also gave his assessment of how spring practice has gone. You know, this whole thing's a work in progress. Uh, There's a lot of things we needed to change, fix, uh, develop to get the team where we want it. And uh, I see improvement every day. Uh, sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, but I'm seeing guys embrace what we're asking them to do. I'm seeing guys improve, but we have a long way to go. So uh, the spring game won't look as good as I want it to look. No practice is looking as good as the coaches want them to look right now, but we are getting better every time we go out. Kickoff on Saturday is set for 11 in Lincoln. Struggles continued last night for the Husker baseball team as they came up short at home following the Kansas State 4-3. to Now Nebraska is scheduled to take on Omaha tonight. That one also should start around 6.30. The Creighton men's basketball team is one of four teams who will headline the Cayman Islands Classic. That's coming up in November. Some of the headlining teams include Creighton, Clemson, St. Bonaventure, Boise State, and Georgia. Wayne State head women's basketball coach Chris Kilsmeyer is leaving the school to become the next head coach of Division One Cleveland State. Kilsmeyer spent 10 seasons at the helm of the Wildcats, going 237-72. He won four regular season conference titles, two tournament championships, and he made five appearances in the NCAA tournament. He also led the Wildcats to their first-ever Elite Eight appearance during the 2011-2012 season. Cleveland Browns head coach Hugh Jackson is dismissing reports that general manager John Dorsey has settled on a quarterback and said the top prospects remain in contention to be selected by the team. 
Now, the Browns haven't been able to adequately fix their quarterback problems for years and are being thorough this time around in a class that's considered to be strong for quarterbacks. USC's Sam Darnold, Wyoming's Josh Allen, Oklahoma's Baker Mayfield, and UCLA's Josh Rose are remain in contention to be chosen by Cleveland with that number one pick. And today's game between St. Louis and the Cubs has been called off because of wintry weather in the Chicago area. Believe it or not, but it's the 25th postponement of the first three weeks of the Major League season with temperatures in the mid-30s and rain and snow on the forecast. The two teams decided to call off today's game. They'll try again tomorrow. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear skies tonight, lows in the upper 20s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts signed three tax measures designed to nullify looming tax increases. One measure, he said, would help retirees adjust with the state's Social Security income tax brackets automatically to keep pace with inflation starting in 2020. Governor Ricketts also wants lawmakers to look for other ways to make Nebraska a more friendly place for retirees to live. Well, I think that one of the things that we need to take a look at that Senator Lindstrom alluded to is that we're one of a handful of states that actually charges tax, income taxes on Social Security benefits. I think that uh, this bill indexing it is an important step forward. But over time, we're going to have to continue to look at what are we doing to be competitive to attract those retirees here. I think we've got a lot of other things that really are great for retirees, whether it's access to health care, quality of life, those sort of things. But, you know, people are going to look at their, their pocketbooks and bills like 738 are going to help people make that decision to stay here. And we're going to have to continue to look at what we're going to do, need to do in the future on taxes to be competitive with, when it comes to how are we taxing those Social Security benefits. Ricketts also says the measures he signed will help taxpayers, but he's disappointed lawmakers didn't approve his property and corporate tax package. Bonton Stores has announced the likely closure of all 260 of its stores in 24 states. Two liquidation firms are the victors of an auction for the bankrupt company's assets after the retailer failed to find a bidder willing to continue operating the business. Bonton filed for bankruptcy in January. Bonton Stores has nine Nebraska locations, including Herbergers in Hastings, Kearney, Norfolk, North Platte, and Scotts Bluff, and Yonkers in Grand Island, Lincoln, and two in Omaha. Four prisoners have been charged with arson and other crimes in connection with the fire and disturbance at the Nebraska Prison's Diagnostic and Evaluation Center in Lincoln. Prison officials say the disturbance on April 7th last year involved more than a dozen inmates and lasted less than two hours. No serious injuries to staff or inmates were reported. The four are 27-year-old Matthew Pavey, who is serving 75 years to life for a Lincoln slaying, 56-year-old Gage Capone, who is serving 30 to 50 years for terroristic threats, 32-year-old Patrick Carey, who is serving 4 to 8 years for drug and other convictions, and 26-year-old Zachary Mueller, who is serving life for killing a Colorado man and stuffing his body in a barrel. A Southwest Airlines pilot who made an emergency landing after the jet apparently blew an engine and lost a window is a former Navy fighter pilot being praised for helping prevent a worse tragedy. Tammy Jo Schultz was at the controls of the Dallas-bound Flight 1380 when it made an emergency landing in Philadelphia, according to her husband, Dean Schultz, who is also a Southwest pilot. Friends of Schultz's alma mater, Mid-America Nazarene University in Olathe, Kansas, say she was among the first female fighter pilots in U.S. military. Passengers lauded her nerves of steel. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
wildfires continue to burn through parts of Oklahoma. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And here to visit with us today about that is Chansey Hansen. She's Director of Communications with the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. And Chansey, I know some efforts are being put in place now to help give some relief to cattlemen down in Oklahoma. But first, just give us an update. What you guys are seeing down there, um, I know we're all praying for rain, but what are you guys seeing down there with these wildfires currently? Yeah, well, I know that there's um, well over 320,000 acres that have burned, um, and those the two big fires are still going. Um, it's not looking good. Um, hopefully we, we will get some rain this weekend and um, get some much, much needed relief. But um, lots of producers in those rural areas have lost cattle, have lost their homes, um, fences, grass, of course, um, even their hay piles. And um, those cattlemen that have, have you know, saved cattle don't have anything for them to eat. So... Um, the major need right now is, is just a call for hay, um, hay donations um, from far and wide. I don't think they'll be picky on what kind of hay. So then, Chansey, maybe talk a little bit more about now what the immediate needs are. If people are looking to help out in any way, what are some of the things that are going to benefit our cattlemen down there right off the bat? Right. So... Hay for producers is absolutely number one priority, and um, I can give you some telephone numbers later in the interview if people are wanting to donate hay, so those can be coordinated. Another way to donate donate is just through monetary donations, and um, our <clears throat> foundation, which is the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Foundation, it's the charitable arm of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. Um, we've created a wildfire relief fund, um, we've actually done this the last two years and helped with those wildfires. Basically, those it's just a place for people to donate those funds online or through checks. Um, we keep them all in one place, and then um, there's actually already an application out for producers that have been affected by the fire. They fill that out. Um, we would have a committee that reviews them and distributes those funds as equally as possible. Last year, um, we actually were able to distribute distribute two rounds because we felt that it was important to get those payments out to producers. We kept receiving donations, so we had a second round of checks out to those producers because 100% of those funds are given are given to those producers that are affected by the wildfire. I know you also are putting together some of these efforts with um, other associations, other partners. Who are some of those that are coming in? Maybe if people aren't right there in Oklahoma, who are some of those that maybe people can donate to on a larger scale? Well, um, the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association is is an affiliate of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And um, all of our fellow affiliates have been so nice, um, especially our neighboring states, Kansas, Texas, Arkansas. Um, calling to check and ask what they can do. But um, my answer has been the same the last couple of days is spread the word that these guys need some hay so they don't have to sell the cattle that they have left. And if you can't do hay, um, I direct them to our website or give them the address to mail um, what they can in a monetary donation to help these guys. Because at this point, fire is still burning and there's not a lot of answers. Um, but there's just at least with the monetary donations and the hay, we can get some hope. And now for some of that important information, the details as far as who can checks be written out to, if people are looking for information, where can we send them? Right. 
Um, you can visit our website, which is okcattlemen.org. Um, there's links there to donate right there online, or um, there's the address where you can mail a check if you are more comfortable doing that. There's also three different phone numbers that go into the phone bank that's handled kind of at that the headquarters of, you know, the, the pay coordination efforts, um, which isn't handled by us, but it's handled by um, some folks in Woodward that we are working closely with. Um, they have are very organized. They know what producers need hay and where to send it to. So if you could call those three numbers listed on our website, I'll give you one right now, 405-590-0106. And um, a lady at that number named Dana will answer the phone, and she can help you coordinate those hay efforts and tell you exactly where to deliver your hay. All right, Chancy. Anything additionally as we continue to watch these wildfires? I know you guys have rain in the forecast. We are praying that that uh, is the case for you. But anything additionally as these wildfires blaze on and cattlemen battle them? Um, well, one thing that I've personally learned um, helping through the fire relief the last couple of years is that people are generous when something like this happens, especially in our industry. Um, fellow producers are so quick to want help, and that I know that means the world to um, those that are in the, the bad situations right now. So thank you on behalf of them, and if you have any um, unique donations, feel free to call our office, and we'll do what we can to help you make that happen. All right, thanks so much. It's Chancy Hansen. She is the Director of Communications with the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. Again, for all of these relief efforts, you can head over to their website, okcattlemen.org, or hop on. We've got several uh, stories up and information there as well at ruralradio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton back on the Rural Radio Network now taking a check of the closing livestock futures with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. And Joe, we see a lot of green on the screen today. Yep, another good day for livestock uh, futures and, for that matter, livestock uh, cash prices, too. Uh, And the cattle uh, heard some uh, 122s and uh, obviously that uh, improving uh, over the last uh, couple of trades. So, uh market uh, started out higher, stayed higher most of the day, and we, we traded a little bit back and forth. Uh, you know, every once in a while, seeing a little profit taking, but uh, we close higher in the in the cattle and in the feeders. Um, just barely out of the April uh, feeders, but uh, still higher. So a positive day. Cutouts were higher on the choice, uh, a little lower on the select, but uh, that didn't seem to deter much and. Uh, the cash trade uh, being very positive. Over the hogs, the uh, cash was higher there, too. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, the futures, uh, despite the fact that they're a pretty decent premium to the uh, index, however, the index is climbing and rather fast now, so uh, that helps. But uh, overall, uh, a positive day there, some triple-digit gains, and uh, once again, and uh, so it looks uh, very positive. Uh, looks like we do have some sort of a low now established in the uh, in the hog. So positive day all the way around in livestock. 
That's Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, joining us on the Rural Radio Network, discussing a green day in the futures trade overall. And again, in the cash cattle side of things, seeing a few trades move on the FedCal exchange between a buck twenty and a buck twenty-two. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. Cold soil temperatures are beginning to delay the planting progress. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskate reporting. Jennifer Reese is a Nebraska Extension educator based out of York. She recently wrote in a CropWatch article about soil temperatures at four inches hovering at or around 40 degrees and the average statewide. Jenny, now as we begin our conversation, we continue to see the seven-day outlook as cold and possibly damp in the forecast. If that is the case, what effect does that have for corn planting? Well, the thing is, Bryce, with equipment these days, farmers can get the seed in the ground really quickly. And so that's a blessing. The thing is, we would like, everyone would like this done right the first time so that we can avoid replanting conditions. Because economically, we don't want to put more into the crop than, than we have to. And so we've just been encouraging our farmers to wait for the right soil conditions. And so what that means is, as close to 50 degrees as possible for the soil temperature and then conditions, weather conditions the next two days or basically next 48 hours allowing for those soil temperatures stay at 50 degrees or, or increase. Now Jenny, can you help us understand uh, if somebody was to plant early and, and that corn seed is in the ground, what happens to the corn cell or the kernel down in there of if it is does get too cold and then we have to replant, what happens that causes that? Well, what happens is when that seed gets in the ground, whether it's corn or soybeans, they're uptaking water within that first 48 hours. Soybeans even a little bit faster. It's more critical within the first 24 hours. And that uptake of water is called imbibition. So basically, if it's cold water that it gets taken up into that seed, it damages or can damage the cell walls, cell membranes, basically um, cause damage within that seed, within the cells. And it can actually, if, um, if enough damage occurs, it can actually kill the embryo. And so we've seen everything from death of those seeds to where the seedlings, if they, if they don't die, they may not ever emerge through the soil. They just basically become so weak. The trend has been we want to plant as early as possible, and I know the farmers I talk with, they want to be on those fields. Maybe they just get anxious at this time of year, but the data that you've seen at the university and the trials you've seen done, is it always the planting early is the best yield, or what's some of the data you've seen? Well, and the data that we share in CropWatch, um, Roger Elmore, Dr. Roger Elmore, our cropping system specialist, shared that, and it actually came from Iowa, making the farmers think more about planting windows optimal planting windows versus specific planting dates. And I would suggest that we could also think that way here in Nebraska, that it's that it's more important that we think about the soil conditions. What is that soil temperature? Making sure that we're not putting it into saturated soils or mudding seed in. You know, all those things, even planting shallow when guys are able to get back in the fields, if the conditions are wet, we've seen in the past where Guys will even plant shallow. And all those things that planting can set them up for problems down the road. Anything else you want to add on this topic while I have you on the phone? We are going to be talking about early soybean planting this next week. And so that is possibly an option for some guys when you're looking 
at the weather forecast and soil temperatures for the next 24 to 48 hours, maybe there's an opportunity to put some beans in the ground instead of corn. That was Jennifer Reese, a Nebraska Extension educator based out of York. I'm Bryce Duskett, broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. John, we're just seeing some positive sentiment across the trading, uh, across all futures here and really in the grains today. Yeah, it was a very slow trade midday. We had a nice surge on the uh, on the overnight trade, and then came in this morning and comes a similar type of price action. The market gets sold, backed off in the wheat, backed off in the corn, and then really the last ten minutes of the trade, we just woke up. Markets like oats rallied to their high, soybeans picked up a little bit, corn back above uh, the three ninety level for for July, and uh, and the wheat back above five bucks July. KC uh, we're almost trading near the high of the day. So as crude oil rallies, markets like copper moving higher. It's like cocoa moving higher. There's a lot of good things going on in the commodity space that I could think could bleed into the corn markets and and, uh, and the soybean markets here in the short term. And then on a uh, hedging opportunity for just input prices, what about the crude oil moving uh, higher to new 2018 highs? Yeah, I, I don't think you want to hedge on this move. I think the mark the, the horse is kind of out of the barn, so to speak, as far as the crude oil goes. you got some risk premium priced in with what's going on in Syria. Uh, and then this is the time of the year, typically, you rally between... Uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day and Memorial Day, uh, and that's kind of back into that mode that we would see early in the 2000s, if you recall, when gas prices were really strong. Uh, we've worked through a lot of supply in that market. I think in the grain side, we're, we still have kind of a two-week slumber, in my opinion, here in the, ne- in the next couple of days. Uh, delivery has been a real negative factor, and so much downward price action, but just kind of keeping a, a foot on the price, so to speak, and then once we get through that end of the, end of the month, folks decide whether they're going to price or store, and we move on, I think, price ourselves into what the, the summer market will be. And in my opinion, uh, you know, this is an opportunity here for end users to lock in, you know, hedges for the upside uh, later this summer. For folks who are looking to hedge, I wouldn't do anything at this point. I think you owe it to yourself if you haven't done anything yet. Let this thing see if it wants to trade back up into the 14s, and then, uh, you know, we'll get those deferred contracts. Possibly March might have an opportunity there near 425. And as we get into the summer period, 440 would be the ultimate target for corn. And one quick last question. Soybeans the only one in the red. Just overall still some weakness there in the soybean meal? Yeah, I think, the, you know, the, the beans themselves here were 11 under uh, May, under July. So if you've got old crop, you're probably seeing those bids fall. You've seen the uh, the premium that had been put in place after the Chinese tariffs in down in Brazil. That has kind of sucked itself back to uh, you have harvest pressure down there that's going to keep, uh, I think, a lid on the markets. Uh, in my opinion, wheat and corn are more, more the story here. Cotton and soybeans, I think, have made their move, and they're more ecstatic to maybe a little lower in the short term. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Find out more at danielsagmarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.